turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Again, this is a chapter I've been working on, is memory uh, to memorize. And uh, let's read together, or you can quote it if you know it by heart. Verses 10 through, or 7 through 10, that's what we'll be looking at today. James chapter 4, and we'll read it together, or you quote it uh, uh, for us uh, uh, as we, as we uh, read it together. Beginning verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. And as we continue in our study of the book of James, uh, we're uh, remembering that last week, I trust uh, those of you that were here, uh, will remember that we talked about uh, uh, struggles. Uh, we talked about the uh, struggles that we have as uh, believers, as saints, and we noted that there was a source of our struggles, uh, there is the strife and struggles, the struggle that we have with God. And then we noted as we finished up uh, some strength for struggles. And our last point is talking about the strength in our struggles that we spoke of. And that uh, is uh, works right into what we're talking about this morning in verses 7 through 10. We spoke of humility, and that's where we want to pick up this morning in the steps of uh, 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 for victory in our struggles. In verses 7 through 10, James gives us uh, a series, actually of 10 commands, uh, which call for an immediate response of obedience. There's submit, there's resist, there's draw nigh, there's cleanse, there's purify, there's be afflicted, there's mourn, there's weep, and turn, and then humble yourselves. And so this morning, as we begin looking at what we might call God's law of gravity in reverse, it's summarized up in verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And in this section, actually uh, the section of verses 1 through 10, James is presenting his readers with love and devotion God has toward them. Now, as a good pastor, it was James's desire to lead his readers, his people, into a full experience of that love. And yet he warns how easily that love is disregarded by us when we seek to love the Father while at the same time love the world. And he compares it with the wicked adultery of a wayward bride who behaves unfaithfully toward her glorious groom. And also under the, under the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, James doesn't simply raise up the problem. He also is led of God to tell us what to do. 
And in verses 7 through 10, James describes the steps that God wants a wayward, wandering Christian to follow in order to enjoy a restored fellowship with him. Now, does that mean uh, I'm speaking to a whole group of wayward, wandering Christians? I trust I don't, (laughs) or I am not. Uh, But uh, there may be some wayward, wandering Christians here. There may be some believers here this morning are living for the Lord. Well, this is to encourage you to keep on. And so uh, uh, you're going to face some struggles. We all do. And uh, uh, it says here, whoever would be exalted by God must first be humbled before him. And something we don't always like to do is be humbled. And whoever wants victory, though, over their struggles must be first humbled before God. Notice the process of that humbling. First, there is submission to God. We see this in verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now, the word James uses here for submit means basically to subordinate yourself to or to align oneself under the authority of someone else like a soldier would subordinate himself to his commanding officer. It's an action of your will. It's saying, I will submit. Uh, It's not that you cannot, it's that you will not. So it's a matter of the will. It's an action of your will. The word obedient comes from the same word. Uh, The apostle Peter was on the same page, I believe, as James. Interesting how the Lord would use these two men. Uh, and, uh, uh, and of course, he's on the same page because God is ultimately the author of both of these uh, passages of Scripture. And 1 Peter 5, 6, uh, Peter said, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So notice here, first of all, the root of sin. The root of sin. At the root of sin, or at the root, sin is a product of arrogant pride. And it uh, moves us to say, you know, I'm not happy with the way God is meeting my needs. I think I can arrange a better deal that I'm getting from God. Well, that's why James makes the point that God is opposed to the proud. And of course, he's quoting Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34. And so the pleasures that wage war in our members move us to the sort of condition that James is describing uh, back in verses 2 and 3. So there's the root of sin. Secondly, there's an alignment with Satan. An alignment with Satan. Bound up with that pride, perhaps unwittingly even. An alignment with the devil himself. You say, I wouldn't want to be on the same side as the devil, but many times... We are on the same side when we don't please God, when we have an arrogance against God. Remember, Satan certainly was the originator of that kind of arrogance. And so we do not become merely independent when we act in arrogant pride, but we actually give ourselves over to the slavery of the devil. First Peter 5, again, uh, says in verse 8 and 9, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom re- resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. 
And then in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 and 11, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds or the methods of the devil. So there's an alignment with sin. There's the root of pride, of sin is pride, the alignment with Satan. And then there's the resistance of Satan. What does it mean as it goes on here in verse 7 to resist the devil and he will flee from you? So the word resist comes from a word which means to refuse to yield. Uh, it means to stand one's ground. That's a command. This isn't a request that God is making. We're commanded to stand our ground against Satan. Uh, we are to resist evil influences. We're to resist the temptations that come. We're to resist evil people that come into our lives. Willing submission to God is the only solution to that arrogant pride which is at the root of our problems. James here tells us that if by submitting to God we resist the devil, then the devil will flee from us. There's no other way to resist than by submitting to God. And this is where the wandering believer must begin in restoring his or her fellowship with the Lord. Secondly, notice drawing near to God. As we go to verse 8. In verse 8 it says, draw nigh, or draw near uh, to God, and he will draw near or nigh to us, or to you. The words draw nigh are also a command. And its uh, structure is in such a way that you do it once and for all. We're to draw nigh to the Lord with the intention of staying close to him. Now there's a parallel here to marriage. The promise you made during your wedding vows was to once and for all stay near unto your spouse. That was the promise that you made. And that's a promise that many times people forget. Now we could say the relationship between the husband and wife must be cultivated or else it cools. And so it is with our relationship with the Lord. In his uh, classic uh, uh, book, uh, Enjoying the in in Intimacy with God. It was James Oswald uh, uh, Sanders uh, who said, both scripture and experience teach us, teach that it is we, not God, who determine the degree of intimacy with, with him that we enjoy. We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. Again, here's an act of our will. You can be as close to God as you choose to be. Now, and you notice here, Pastor James invites us to draw nigh, draw near, come near to God. And that he couples this invitation with a promise that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. It reminds me of the story of Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10 and verses 38 through 42. And it was Jesus' response to Martha that suggests uh, to us that when we draw near to God, the Lord himself is protective of that intimacy. And that's an intended sequence in this uh, situation here. A wandering believer is invited to draw nigh to God, but not until he or she has first submitted to God. 
And while in that proud and arrogant state of flirting with the things of this world, James says that we, uh, they have made themselves enemies of God. Boy, I hate to be an enemy of God. But that's exactly what we are. If we're, uh, we're, uh, flirting with the things of this world and we're not submitting to Him. And it's placed us really in a state of hostility toward Him. You know, we dare not approach a holy God while we are still in a state of arrogant defiance toward Him because of a love affair with the things of this world. We must first submit to Him, then draw near. And that brings us to the how of drawing close to God. And that comes through confession of sin. In verse 8, James goes on to say, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And in saying this, he shows there is this must occur in two areas or two spheres. Uh, there's to be cleansing in two areas. First of all, in our outward life. And he calls us here sinners and says we must clean our hands. Now he's talking to believers. Uh, are not believers still sinners? Yes, we are. Uh, we still struggle with that sin problem because we struggle with the root of sin, and that's pride many times. But he says, sinners, cleanse your hands. That is, turn away from the sinful lifestyle practices and patterns that displease God. We must have a pure moral life before him. And speaking of our cleaning up our conduct, cleaning up the way we speak, the way we act toward others. The hands speak of what we do. So it's an outward life. He says, cleanse your hands. And we can all see that we have hands. And that's, that speaks of what we do because we usually uh, use our hands. But then he also speaks of the other area, and that's our inner man. The heart deals with the thought life and the motives. He says, purify your hearts. Whereas the hands speak of what we do, it's the heart that speaks of what we are. There's no communion without cleaning. God cannot effectively use a dirty vessel. He calls us double-minded or two-souled. And that says we must purify our hearts. We must cease from loving something else more than him. In the first chapter, James spoke of being double-minded and how that that brings instability in our lives. In 2 Timothy 2.21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Matthew 5 and verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so the first aspect of confession is cleansing our hands and our heart. Secondly, there's a cleansing that is our responsibility. Cleansing is our responsibility. Notice James places the responsibility on us. If we who are to clean our own hands and purify our own hearts... 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. 
You see, we're to change our attitudes and our thinking if we're to clean up our lives. Wrong thinking produces wrong behavior. Cleansing comes from confessing or agreeing with God about our sins and from obeying the scripture. Again, this is part of a sequence. The wandering Christian who has been convicted of spiritual unfaithfulness to God and who would be restored in intimate fellowship with him must lay down arms and draw near to God. And the closer he or she draws to the majestic holiness of God, the more plainly we're going to see our own sinfulness. And so a part of the process is to repent both of outward sinful practices and inward divided affections. And such a wandering Christian must once again become God's man, God's woman, body and soul. So there must be confession. And then that leads to repentance with sorrow. Look at verse 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Now here we have in verse 9, actually four of the ten commands in these verses that are found here. And all four commands are calls to repentance. It says be afflicted. That's a very strong word, which means to be miserable or wretched. The word mourn indicates a passionate grief that cannot be hidden. The laughter that comes from sensual, uh, sinful living should be turned to mourning. Now it's true that the Bible does not, does command us, it does command us to rejoice always. Uh, and its intention in saying that is that we're to be rejoicing in the Lord. And here James calls his readers who've wandered from the Lord to feel the sorrow that precedes his loving acceptance. You know, the idea of experiencing sorrow for sin is really antithetical to so much of what modern humanistic psychology and counseling encourages. You know, in those cases, every effort expended toward doing the exact opposite, to rid the patient or the counselee of feelings of guilt and sorrow, and to do whatever is necessary to feel good. Uh, They want you to feel good. They want you to feel happy. And that approach is often founded on the belief that sorrow is harmful. Not according to God's word. Sorrow is not always harmful. It's not always negative. It's not always unproductive. But here we find that we're called upon by James not only to avoid circumventing these feelings but to actually deliberately feel them. There ought to be a a repentance uh, with sorrow. He urges us and exhorts us to actually feel bad about your sin. You know, often we downplay feelings. We say, well, we're not to operate by feelings. That's true in a certain sense. Feelings can be deceptive. And yet here the Lord, through James, is telling us that, that uh, in our sin, we should have, our sin should have such an effect on us that we weep over it. We should become broken because of our sinfulness. It should bother us when we sin. And we should take our sin serious. Don't just laugh it off. Oh, I'll just confess it to God and I'll go on. 
No, there needs to be a sorrow over sinfulness. And we need to go before God in a genuine brokenness and confession and then forsake it. We need to turn from the sin. These words remind us that the Holy Spirit is behind the sense of guilt and sorrow. His ministry uh, to the world in part is to convict of sin. And with respect to the believer, his, he communicates his own grief over our sin. Remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit can be grieved with our sin. If he indwells you and you live a sinful life, you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. And these words remind us that not all sorrowing is bad, but it's rather a part of God's will for our progress toward godliness. The psalmist said in Psalm 51, he said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. And so there needs to be a repentance with sorrow. Four commands. Be afflicted, mourn, weep, turn laughter into mourning. And then notice we're to trust God for exaltation. Trusting God for exaltation. That's verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. You see, all we've said thus far is under the broad category of self-humbling before God. You see, in the previous verses, James uh, has described what such humbling looks like in practice. But he ends this string of descriptive exhortations with a glorious promise that God is going to exalt the one who is humbled. It doesn't seem right to the world that we would humble ourselves and be exalted. The world says, exalt yourself, and everybody's going to like you, you know, and, and everyone will come to you and say, boy, what a great person you are. But that's not the way the Bible reads. The Bible reads, you humble yourself before God, and he will exalt you. One of the great paradoxes of the scripture. Isn't, it isn't God's design for us to be forever miserable. Uh, it's not God's de- uh, will that we always be mourning and weeping and sorrow and gloom because of sin. No, he's, he, his intention is all this that he might forever exalt us. God himself is the one who must do the exalting though. Not we ourselves. Our exaltation uh, is, is something that in and of itself may be good and right, but that even God expresses that he wishes to bring about. But we must be exactly that, something that he brings about. It's not that we do it. Our responsibility is to humble ourselves. And the exaltation from God then is such that it must be preceded by a humbling of ourselves. The Savior himself sets the example for us. He says in Philippians, it says in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're to have the mind of Christ in this area. Now, maybe you remember that famous doctor of psychiatry by the name of Dr. Lucy. She advertised psychiatric help, five cents. And of course, 
Charlie Brown is her uh, client. And he says, Lucy, I need help. She asks, well, what can I do for you, Charlie Brown? And he says, I'm confused. I can't seem to find direction. I can't find purpose in my life. And Lucy responds and says, oh, don't worry, Charlie. It's like, you know, it's like a big ocean liner making its way through the sea. Some folks put their deck chairs to face the bow of the ship and others place their chairs to face the side of the ship or the back. Which way do you face, Charlie? Charlie Brown sadly concludes, I've never been able to get one unfolded. Maybe you feel like Charlie Brown sometimes and you can't seem to do anything. It's, it's in these times when we, weak, uh, we are weak in ourselves and we become strong by truly being dependent upon the Lord. If you will submit your life to him, he will help you overcome the struggles of life. He will lift you up. Someone once told how while they were living a disobedient life and having wandered away from God, they went to their doctor. Now, this was not the famous Dr. Lucy. But he was seeking that the doctor would give him something to relieve his depression. Isn't that the, the, the story of, the, uh, of our times? You know, Doc, give me something. I need something to relieve me of my depression. And after listening to his story and hearing about the sinful choices the man was making, the doctor refused to give him anything. And the doctor wisely told this man, why should I give you something to relieve you of feelings you ought to be experiencing? You see, the refusal was used by God then to turn this man's life around. He realized that his life was not pleasing to God. And the reason why he was feeling what he was feeling was because he was wayward and wandering from the Lord. You see, in James, we see to experience the exaltation from God, we must, number one, end our hostilities toward him by submitting to him. Secondly, committing ourselves to regaining intimacy with him by drawing near to him. Thirdly, confessing our sins, both outward cleansing of our hands as guilty sinners and inwardly purifying our hearts as those who are guilty of double-mindedness. And then repent of that sin with genuine sorrow, not trying to circumvent the sorrow, but permitting it to do a godly work in us. And I believe the result will be victory over the greatest struggle we have in our lives, and that is struggle with sin. Let's bow our heads in prayer.